three, two, one. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the third episode of season two of the True Leisure Podcast. Welcome back. Today, we're going to be talking about the evolution of language, how language came to be, how the different types of languages have evolved from some of their ancestor forms into their modern forms right now, and how this, there are some similarities between languages and why those came to be. And we'll also be, we'll also be talking a little bit about dialects as well. So um, I hope you guys enjoy this riveting conversation. And uh, let's get started. Uh, I think, Alex, you said you had looked up some stuff. Yeah, I, I guess I wanted to start off with what exactly does appropriate language mean, right? So we have a sort of intuitive idea of what appropriate means. But I was just curious what you guys think about that. Um, I guess to me, appropriate is dependent a lot on the context, right? So it's dependent a lot on... The word that comes to mind is code switching, right? So if you're in a business scenario, then you have to speak in a certain way in order to maintain credibility, right? And if you're with your friends, it's totally different. Like you can say essentially whatever you want based on whatever you guys are okay with. Yeah. And then family, you know, there's this sort of something to do with authority, probably. You have to speak a certain way around based on whatever your family dynamic is. Right. So, so I was just curious. Absolutely no swearing around family. Yeah, it depends. So what what does appropriate mean to you guys? I think in terms of just like language. Yeah, okay. I think it oh I think it just um it really does depend on the context of, you know, what are we talking about and where are we talking about and who we're talking to because in a lot of languages there's different types of ways to address people like there's the formal way and there's a casual way and i know there's that exists in spanish and it exists in uh, punjabi as well where you have uh, a way you would address maybe an equal like a friend and there's another way that you would address an elder so it does really depend on what is considered appropriate on, you know, the context of where you're speaking. Because if you were to use something like a casual tone with an elder or somebody who is um, in a respectable position, then that would be considered uh, quite disrespectful because their position demands that type of respect from the language when you're speaking to them. And G, were you going to say something? Yeah, I more or less like agree. Yeah, I was just going to say like I agree with that. Just the way I was brought up, it was all, um, you know, you have to be, you can't like curse around your elders or pretty much like anyone that you're not close with, right? Right. And it's very, you have to just treat um, those with authority over you with respect and 
you know, like for for example, like adding G at the end of their name, like Daddy G or Mummy G or Baba G, like just it, it's like it's kind of like a acknowledgement of respect. Yeah. I think this also applies to body language a lot as well. I know uh, I grew up Vietnamese, uh, mostly Buddhist. And what a lot of the cousins do is whenever we say hi to an elder is we bow. And um, the way Vietnamese works is we call them like aunt or uncle or like older uncle, younger uncle, stuff like that. And like usually being older is a sign of respect in Asian languages. Right. So it's a sort of acknowledgement of social roles, right? We have this convention of respecting the elderly because they tend to be more wise or something like that, right? Or that we respect the people that pay us, for example, or that have, like, raised us for reasons. I think it's mostly convention, but Maybe it's it's a question of like comfort, right? Making the other person comfortable, right? You would also like assume that that person is more knowledgeable, like, along with the wisdom thing, just because they've had more years than you. So, if you're this smart, they've had like that much more time to learn right. and understand the world more. And I think uh, something that's also quite important is that when we talk about language, there can sometimes be differences between what is considered appropriate to speak and what is considered appropriate within academia. Because when I was researching Farsi, I found that um, there's actually two versions of Farsi. They basically exist not talking about like dialects or within regions, but like just the uh, the main uh, Persian language, there is um, uh, a way to speak it where in, in which you would speak with like just normal people uh, when interacting. But then there's also a way to, uh, there's a second version of Farsi in which you would write professionally within it. And if you mix those two up, it's considered uh, quite weird. So you would talk within the casual version but then you would use the formal version to write and you would not use the formal version to speak in. That's interesting. I was wondering so we sort of use different words when or we have a different mode of speaking or writing when we're writing formally, right? Right. In Farsi does is the script different? Or is it just like word choice, like we use in English? I think it's word choice. I haven't, um, that's, I was talking to someone and uh, he just told me that uh, I'm pretty sure it's just the word choice. Okay. It seems like they have conventions for, or more, more concrete conventions for what's 
appropriate for academia. And I think yeah. that's pretty interesting. And I think we would probably do good to um, also talk a little bit about, you know, just how languages evolved. And I think some of the earliest languages were actually clicker languages in which you would use clicking of the mouth to convey uh, certain things to other people. I think it's, it's pretty interesting because um, it's obviously like it's a very basic and simplistic way of interacting with people just using clicks because, you know, but interestingly enough, when I was looking at some of the old clicker languages, I found that they were actually quite complex. So it just um, goes to show just like how whenever a society develops, how language is just becomes one of the like fundamental foundations of how that society uh, evolves throughout time because as we know the societies that no longer exists have had their languages die out and I think that's probably one thing why um, a lot of uh, whenever we talk about colonization or um, the sort of taking down of a, of a certain community language in that regard always comes up because in order to I mean this is something that I believe but you know if you want to really take down a community you you destroy the language and uh, it's it's interesting because it's not I was... just destroying language but just like sorry am I muted no okay no I was just gonna mention like uh, it's not just language, it's also just... It's it's more than just the language itself, right? It's the means with which they communicate. And with any, like, community, even, like, I would say nowadays, like, certain communities, like, on the internet could die out if, like, the platform just, just like, bans them, not allows them to speak about stuff or talk about stuff so i just found a correlation there that i wanted to mention yeah i was gonna say um it's it's uh, the language issue that i was talking about just sort of expand on it it's, it's quite interesting how um uh that sort of language it it affects when we talk about language it's becomes a bigger issue than just language itself because i was watching um, this video that was conducted on bbc network and it was basically a debate of some sorts and it was um, between two groups of people that were uh, debating on whether the colonization of India was a good thing or a bad thing. And just, you know, putting aside that topic because I want to, I don't want to get too off topic here. I just want to talk mainly about language, but one thing that I noticed a lot, within you know some of the people that were arguing that the british did a good thing by colonizing india was that yes they colonized us yes they did every all all these things but at least we can speak english now and it just sort of goes to show how powerful languages in that aspect were it can sort of 
put in you this internalized almost racism of sorts or an internalized prejudice against your own community because what you have is uh, because of the effects of colonization you have you know all the English being put to a higher standard, so people who speak English are considered more educated, people who speak English are considered more sophisticated, so everybody wants to identify with that aspect, and that's, you know, that's just for language, and I've seen that a lot in India as well, where uh, people who study in schools that teach English, or put a preference over English, are considered uh, more high-end. I was talking with Trey yesterday how without pressure to learn a specific language it's very difficult right how I was talking because I want to learn Farsi right but it's mm-hmm. difficult because there's no urgency other than right. I guess lifetime right mm-hmm. whereas somebody learning English, for example, would be pressed to do that because that allows you for international freedom, essentially. Right? Right. It's the language of business. And because of Western colonization and prominence of English, everybody knows it at least as like a second language. Well, not everybody, but, like, a good majority of the world, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess yeah. that might lead to some people forgetting parts of their culture, right? If you don't have that urgency, then maybe it'll just be lost to sands of time. Right. And that's probably why, like, one of, like, something that I've seen in terms of learning languages, if you want to learn a language, you should go to the actual country where it's spoken. Because once you take away that sort of, like, well, you be, when you talk about not being able to, um, the, there's not, not being a sense of urgency, it's because we have this sort of crutch, right? We have the support of English that... Even if we don't learn another language, it's going to be okay. Like, there's not that sense of uh, need to learn it. It's just more of a want. Whereas if you're living in, say, you know, Spain or Italy or France, and you don't know, you know, a lick of the language that's spoken there, you're going to have a hard time, you know, surviving there. Right. Even it's though only I'm, uh, intrinsic right. motivation, right? And even though I'm sure a lot of Unless people, you know, a lot of people in Europe, I'm sure they speak English, right? In Spain and stuff, you're, you'll find English speakers there. So it's not, even though it's not like a complete like throwing into the deep end, but it's still like you're kind of flailing around there. So you you either learn to swim or you just sort of drown, I guess. Yeah, it's it's like 
I think the term for learning a language in that fashion is just called like full immersion, mm-hmm. um, where not only like it, you don't even have to go to that country, you just like completely surround yourself with that material. Uh, I have a friend who has been, I think now it's been like eight months since he started learning Japanese. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he's only been listening to Japanese music, only watching like Japanese television and film. He sets all of his game settings, his video game language to Japanese. And it's been going well with him, for him. He still speaks English for like his, he, he lives in the UK and he still speaks English like for his work and everything. But um, in his off time, that's just what he does. And... That's such a that's it, such a it, superpower. Yeah, it, it he helps. doesn't have to watch. It really does. He, does, he doesn't have to watch. He doesn't have to watch anime with subtitles. True. Um, so, I'm trying to think. Oh yeah, I was gonna mention. So, uh, Alex, you mentioned how English is like the language of business and how people in Europe can speak English. Uh, like mo- if for the most part, if you go to Europe, people there will know some English. And I feel like part of that has to do with education. Like in Europe, I know a lot of countries require that students learn more languages. Whereas here in the U S it's like, you can just take three classes for any language of your choice. But there it's like, uh, so, so I know there's some places I can't, I don't know exactly. It's been a while, but there's some places that require three, some maybe even up to four languages known and you have to pass literacy tests for them. So right. I think it's, I know this one uh, streamer I watch in the Netherlands, he speaks Dutch, German, and English. And that's because of his education that kind of made him learn all those languages. And because of it, he was able to be successful in streaming. I think that's an interesting point. How you mentioned how in the U.S. our prominence in education is not on language at all, really. Mm -hmm. There's like two years of required language depending on the school probably and i think there's some required in university but the method through which it's taught is very unnatural right it's all grammar and it's pretty ineffective right like vocab tests don't teach you how to speak or listen or whatever in spanish it teaches you how to memorize 10 words and then forget them all after the test's over, right? Right. And I, I'm guessing in a European country, I don't know exactly, I'm assuming that they probably have people that actually speak the languages in relative abundance so that you know you have people that can actually come in and talk in a normal way i suppose and use methods that are more similar to which we would use when we're developing language like as infants right 
it's a little bit closer to immersion than only going to class for an hour and taking like a grammar test, right? Right. I would argue, yeah, that speaking is kind of the like best way to teach, like having the students actually form their own sentences and speak them rather than just reading something or memorizing something. Right. But I know at least my experience learning Spanish for my high school requirement, it was very awkward to speak up in a language for the fear yeah. of sounding really stupid, you know? it's Yeah, it's unwelcoming and mm-hmm. like it makes you not want to learn it at all, right? Like, Yeah, like you get the vibe that everyone else in the class is just cringing at the thought of speaking another language. Like, they're just doing it for the grade, you know? Yeah, exactly. When right. it, it's, like, language is supposed to be a beautiful, like, wellspring of culture and, I guess, a, a different mindset, right? Right. And I think one thing that's very, um, I think it's important to mention is that not only is it a wellspring of culture, but it's also a way to a way to familiarity. So if you have, say, you know, if you're a person who belongs to a certain community, and you're out and about, and you see someone talking. And someone like addresses you in your own um, native language, and there's actually a YouTube channel. Uh, it's called uh, Laoshu, and he's a he's a YouTuber who he's a polyglot, so he speaks I forget how many, but he speaks like I think more than a dozen languages. And uh, he's passed away recently, so rest in peace. But it was interesting seeing like what he would do is he would attach a GoPro to his head and he'd just go to random people and he'd ask them what their ethnicity was and then start speaking to them in that language. So he would like, if someone said, you know, they were from China, he'd speak to them in Mandarin or he'd start speaking, uh, you know, whatnot. He'd start speaking, uh, you know, Mandarin or Cantonese or Italian or, uh, I think even Farsi he spoke and, or Hindi and he would just get so like the reactions were just priceless because you have someone who doesn't belong to your community at all he's just from like a, he's he's a different person and he's speaking to you in your language and they suddenly like you know you see these people their faces light up and you know you can tell that they feel a sense of comfort with him they feel they feel a sense of familiarity with him and you know, it's uh, also like an example that I like to use is like with Jehovah's Witnesses, you like if you answer the door and they address you in English and then you don't speak English, they're going to come back the next day with a pamphlet with for the language that you do speak in. And that's like a stereotype, but it's also kind of true is that uh, language is a way in order to uh, gain a person's trust, I've seen. Right. Yeah, it's almost connected. I'd imagine that your mother tongue is connected very tightly with home for the most part. Yeah. Especially in like... And... If you, yeah. 
uh, I was just going to say how the way that, I guess, language is developed within a society is it is formed around the culture, right? Right. So I'm guessing that those of you that are bilingual, like I know Akash, you at least you'd consider yourself like pretty fully bilingual at least, right? Yeah. That you think in a different way when you're speaking Punjabi or something like that. Yeah. Because the words just mean different things, right? Yeah. There's no, like, there's problems translating directly into another language because of, I guess, connotations of the words. Mm-hmm. I think the best way I can describe it is that, you know how we have, you have colors, right? Like you say, let's say you have red and blue. If I show you the color red on a piece of paper, you don't have to think what color it is. You just instantly know it's red, right? Yeah. Or if I show you blue, you just instantly know it's blue. Like what shirt am I wearing? Oh, I'm wearing black. You don't have to think about it. Or what shirt is G wearing? He's wearing blue. The way I describe like my thought process like with an analogy is just sort of if you have a person who only speaks one language they don't need to think about what language they're speaking they just know instantly so it's sort of like you know you see red you just know instantly so all they have is red but if you have like say you're a bilingual person they speak two languages they can recognize both red and blue instantly and when they think it's sort of like almost like a mixture of both red and blue and sometimes it's just you think predominantly in more in one language more, and sometimes you think in another language more. Like for per, me personally, I would say like when I think when I would say when I'm at school, my thought process is more in terms of English, sometimes with a little bit of Punjabi mixed in. And when I'm at home, it's more Punjabi with a little bit of English mixed in. But it's it's sort of sometimes it's equal, but it sort of changes a lot depending on like the circumstance I would say. That's a really awesome analogy. Just the color waiting. Yeah. yeah. I never really thought about it like that. It's like a I wish I could yeah, I wish I could be at that level with Punjabi, but I, I feel like with me, it's more like you just kind of, um, well, th- there's like the knee-jerk responses, right? When someone says, Sastrikal, you just immediately respond and it's like nothing. Right. But w- with longer, harder conversations, I find myself like translating from English Um. And I don't think it's like a bad thing to translate from your mother tongue to the language you're speaking, but it does definitely slow you down. Yeah. I feel. I think with, um, in terms of like that, like what you said with your friend, just completely immersing, immersing himself in Japanese. I think that really helps in terms of speaking another language because it just helps to strengthen the neural connections in your brain, I would say. 
of just like completely like repeatedly because when we're babies right we grow up speaking a language right and whether that's english or spanish or punjabi whatever you get the gist but those you have had that time to sort of develop that to the point where you don't uh need to think about it in terms of like if you you know if 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 that's the environment in your house like if you have one person who speaks like your mom speaks spanish or and your dad speaks english and both of them speak to you in different languages and that would sort of uh you would have both of those things strengthened at the same time and especially like with school right especially when because we're in america when we go to school we're completely immersed in english we talk to our classmates in english we talk to our teachers in english so it just you know it just becomes a part of yourself and when you're learning a new language i would say there's not as much immersion to that level because one like alex said before there's not as like a sense of urgency to it but also there's also that sense of embarrassment to it because we never had to experience that with english right we never had to experience a sense of embarrassment with english of like oh i'm going to mess this up because we just always like we were just thrown into a deep end right we've been completely immersed in it since childhood but from what i've seen like some people that are immigrants that have immigrated to america at a much later age they do feel that sense of embarrassment with english in terms of like whether they're going to speak it correctly or not and um i would imagine like they have that same thing going on of like when we're like when i was learning spanish i had to sort of translate it into my brain into english and then sort of process it that way and i would say they have that same type too and it becomes tricky because different languages have different sentence structures like the where the noun is placed or the adjective is placed things like that so it can become quite tricky but i would say uh just learning to speak it and speaking it without hesitation and also trying to immerse yourself in other aspects of your life is probably the best way to learn language Uh, I was about to ask Ethan something, but he just dipped. I think he might have went to the bathroom or something. (laughs) When, I I feel like when you're translating it from English to another language, Mm -hmm. all you're really doing is learning another English word with a different spelling. Right. You have to see... We have a lot of subconscious mechanisms for understanding language because that's how we like survive, right? <laughs> that's why the clicking languages came up in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. I think that we can understand connotations and stuff just by observation and context, right? Right. And that's why I I believe very strongly in the power of like pure listening. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't necessarily have to recite something to learn a language, right? Right. 
obviously the practice is helpful mm-hmm. in repetition and like repeating the words and strengthening those neural connections. But in terms of acquiring vocabulary and learning what, like how to think in a language and how words work, I suppose, in this language, listening is, I'd weigh that much higher. And there's just something you can't get from translating directly because, you know, I guess it's kind of magical when you have to, something kind of comes up spontaneously as opposed to, oh, I'm trying to say hello in Farsi, that's salam or whatever. When it, it's like, it means something else. It, it means something slightly different. Like you're right. thinking about it in an English lens as opposed to whatever language you're thinking it in lens, right? Right. Yeah, I, one, one thing I like to do is, um, well, specifically I'm doing it for German because I think German is a fantastic language and I'm low-key interested in learning it as well. Um, basically German is notorious for just taking one word and taking another word and then mashing them together to create a bigger word. And sometimes it's funny to like, just see a sentence just being one giant word, but sometimes it's like you look up what one word means and you think that you would use that in that context. But then you type out a full sentence in English and then it translates and it turns out that's not the correct word for it. One example I can think of is like for tying a turban, right? I looked up what the German word for tie is and it's tippin. But the phrase for tying your turban is binden mein turban. So instead of tippin, they used binden. So you had to like it's partly like knowing the vocabulary, but also understanding the context in which they're supposed to be used is important for right. language. Right. Like tippin is like tying, right? But I'm guessing they see it. They see the tying of the turban as like a binding, right? Yeah. And that that's just us like correlating German words with English. Yeah, right? exactly. When German is its own thing. Like they have their own uh patterns as well right also ethan i was gonna ask you something before you left uh with your vietnamese is it like is it like a gosh where you can kind of just flip between the two colors and you know which one's which or is it more like me where you kind of struggle with bigger conversations i would say I'm at a point where if I say anything, it's probably intuitive, but I don't know a lot in terms of the language. Like, I think when I stopped learning in school, it was a kindergarten level, but I would catch myself, like, especially in, like, Spanish class, I would try to translate, like, from English to Spanish, but then accidentally use Vietnamese. Like, it was really weird. Um, I guess... 
yeah, this low-level Vietnamese is where I'm at, but it's like it's very intuitive. It's on. It's definitely on. Mm-hmm. I remember doing the same thing. I would like I, I would speak a Spanish sentence to my teacher and then sort of like word mumble into Punjabi, and she's like, "What are you saying?" <laughs> and it's like like you forget like one word and then you like translate it wrong. It's like, oh. yeah. Just whatever you do, you can't speak English. <laughs> yeah, like, instead of it being, I guess, multiple different states, it's just not English state, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's the dirty bullion. <laughs> yeah. Or, like, the, the unfamiliar state or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing it's also we should also talk about in terms of language is just how language travels. You know, how certain words have traveled and made their way into other languages through, even though they did not or, originate from that language. Like the word jungle. We all know what jungle means, right? But jungle is not actually originally an English word. It's not even a European word. It actually came from the word from Sanskrit. And uh, Sanskrit gave, has a word jungle, which um, I forget the meaning. It's, I think it was a different, I think it actually originally meant dry land, but then it just sort of evolved to mean like a rainforest type of jungle with trees and stuff. So I think that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I'd have to agree. English is like a conglomerate of I would I would say it's like a conglomerate of all of the world's languages. Like there's Latin roots, there's Greek roots, there's Arabic roots, there's uh, and then also similarities to other languages that derive from those places too, like Spanish, German, um, f- French. Those are all the Dutch. Those are all like very similar to English, too, because they all came from the same origin, right? Right. And I think it's interesting how, and, like, just you know, the word, English itself yeah. has evolved. Sorry, what were you saying? Nothing. I was going to say just, like, uh, just complete your thing, then I'll say it. Okay, yeah. I was just going to mention, like, how English is evolving, too. Uh, not just um like there was old english right the way it was written and all of the variations of it that changes from century to century and even now like on a smaller scale like every decade or so we swap out slang and i think we should talk about slang too but uh you should say what you wanted to say first yeah so i was just gonna say just Languages like the modern languages, um, especially Indian and European languages, they came from the Proto-Indo-European language, which is basically just the ancestor of all these languages, which is why um, there's words within like languages of different regions that have similar patterns, like who, what, when, where, and why all start with a W. And um. Uh, in in other languages, these uh, interrogative questions also uh, in that language also start with those uh, same with the same letter, and even like the word mother, right? 
in almost every language, the word mother is quite universal in the sense that it always starts with a ma sound, whether it's mother or madre or ma or mama or mom, something, right? And even like the word brother, because brother in, um, we have brotherhood in English and then in Hindi, we have uh, biradri or in even in Punjabi, we also have that. And that's because these languages, they all sort of evolved from the Proto-Indo-European language. And so there you have similar patterns, even though the sentence structure might be different, but some words, some vocabulary is uh, quite similar. Yeah, so you were going to talk about slang. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's just um, just get into it. Like, yeah, any of you guys have any like uh, cool, I guess, histories on certain slang words? I I know for a fact that like certain words that were cool to say like a decade ago are cringe now, and like, totally tubular or. Yeah, even the word cringe, like, was... It's only recently become a thing, right? Uh, yeah, it's... Uh, I got two, two words. Yeah, even, yeah, like, the word sure. cool. I believe it stemmed from uh, early jazz music, in which jazz musicians, African-American jazz musicians, used the word cool to refer to something, like, suave or good or nice. And, uh, like, cool mm -hmm. as a cucumber. Uh, I have but, a third word now. Yeah, but yeah. So I think yeah. it's Ethan. Just go at it. I so one. Um, Akashi just mentioned African American is actually less appropriate. It's just easier to say black, and I, I'm LGBTQ allies and all. Uh, pretty much everything on the left, I follow very closely. Black community, Asian community as well. And from last I checked, this was like during the protest last year, they prefer referring to them as black. It's just like, it's more normal. Like it sounds less like you're talking to like, like a scientific term of a type of person who doesn't exist. Okay. Um, another one that I find interesting is the word female. Like in science... Like, when you're talking about it in biology, it's normal, right? But every time I hear a guy say it, like, I instantly think, oof, oof, this dude has never talked to a woman in his life. His mother doesn't even talk to him. It's just like, it's such, it's one of those words that when used incorrectly, which is pretty often, it has a different tone than just saying like girl or woman yeah the, the connotation's different yeah exactly the connotation it's more scientific so it's just weird when you talk about it like that right yeah like if you say like my female friends it's like you're talking about like a test subject like that's not that's not normal okay well like i think it's i think i think okay when you say it's like your female friends i think that's a fine because you know it, it's not weird it's not like it's weird to say my girlfriends, you know, because girlfriend implies you're in a relationship with them, whereas, you know, they could just be your friends that are also girls. But, right? like, when was the last time you said male friends? 
Well, I mean, I don't need to say male friends because I'm a male. When was the last time anyone said male friends? Have you ever you heard say of your it? boys or something? Your boys, like the bros. girls, will say my boys. <laughs> like, I I don't hear male friend ever. Like, um, I've heard girl space friends, um, just like the gals too. That one's like more niche, mm. but. Like, people tend to stray from the word. I think it's mostly just because of the incel community. Like, re- really took a notch down on that one. But, like, it's, it's so weird that the word Chad has become, like, super popular in modern language. I find that so interesting. Especially since the incel community got banned off Reddit, and that's where it started. Like, how weird is that? Chad is, like... It, it, depending on the con- context, its connotation is different, right? Because saying someone is an absolute Chad is like, it's a good, it's a good thing. He's a he's a cool guy. He has desirable traits, but at the same time, like like you said, the incel community they kind of dislike Chads because the Chads are like, uh, what is it? They're framed like the jocks in high school, right? The ones that uh, are just absolute bullies and. You know, and they're just but, assholes. Yeah, and, and then and of course there's deviations like Thad, and then the dad. <laughs> it's just <laughs> yeah, we don't like dads around here. Sorry, <laughs> we don't take kindly to their dads. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, it, it really depends. Like, if typically if I call someone a Chad, that means I think that they're cool. So I feel like that's a sentiment we all kind of share. Yeah, Yeah. and also, yeah, yeah, and also going back to an earlier, the earlier thing you mentioned about like the left communities, I I find it just interesting how, like, a word that was used commonly is now vilified, and on the contrast, like, a word that was considered bad has been reclaimed and reformed as like a thing of pride, you know. Yeah, it's you very... know the two words I'm talking about. Yes. All right, I don't need to say them then. It's like on one. It's kind of like going in different phases. Like the way de- they did it was the first phase is like okay, we need to have our voice heard, and we need people to respect us by omitting the word, and then it, it kind of moved on a little bit to the point where it's like we are powerful enough as, like, a community, that we can take back the word. Like, uh, it, it just, like, means different things in different time periods. I was actually talking to my friend. I'm assuming you guys are referring to, like, the N-word. With an A. Yeah. That okay. and also, um... F-word? No, uh, the Q-word. Okay. God, I feel like the Child, <laughs> what are you referring to? Queer? Yeah, yeah. That's not. That's not that bad. That's like. That's like. I wouldn't consider that bad. Just the fact that we don't feel okay saying it is telling. Yeah, yeah. To you guys, I, I'm. Kidding. I mean, yeah. Maybe you're okay with. You, you want to say the N word, bro? No, like I'm, I'm yeah, okay exactly. with the word queer because it's not that bad. Yeah, yeah. It's just, I mean, just like, like why is it bad? 
Oh, I mean, it's contextual, right? Like, people would used to say it, like, derogatory, like, in a derogatory manner. Like, right. You would use it to, like, call somebody out and say, look at this guy. He's clear. But yeah, now but it's like, a descriptor. Me and Akash have both talked about this, like, extensively. The In our communities, at least, like, the, the not just the word, but the concept of being queer does not exist. You You cannot be that person in the community it's just not talked about and therefore it's taboo right like gosh you can you can yeah. verify wait uh, before i continue sorry um i might have to look into this a little more but the term queer might be offensive but um the lgbt community uses a lot as a power word uh i wouldn't know how to use it outside of that so i'm just gonna like stop for now until i have further knowledge <laughs> I apologize. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. Well, yeah, uh, Akash, go ahead. Yeah, um, the idea of queer is not as, like, non-existent as it is just not talked about, like G said. And because, you know, the transgender community definitely does exist in India. And it's, it's, it's kind of interesting because... Um, before when we tell we're told we talk about words right the idea of you know transgenderism in india is you know there's a whole community in india of them and it's sort of referred to as the third gender in india and i think it's actually classified under law as the third gender as well and it's interesting because before people used to use a lot of derogatory words for them, but then they actually came up with their, um, you know, their own ways to refer to them. And I think different communities have different ways of, you know, referring to themselves. But it's all. But I feel like it, it always has to do with. It goes back to religion, in that they use um, different, like, sort of uh, species as from you know ancient religious. Uh, texts to refer to themselves as a way of gaining power it's basically like if if there was a transgender community within europe and people would call them derogatory words but then they refer to themselves as you know the angels using that word from christianity and like a, a thing that's sort of uh, respected and implying that to themselves in order to gain the power back I think one you made me realize something um something that a lot of people do is that they will refer to a person as a description of them so we're when we say queers we're referring to like a person of the lgbt community when we're saying if we were to say blacks we'd be referring to a black person what I've seen a lot is that people would prefer both for themselves and towards other people if you said, like, a person who is blank. Like, you wouldn't say a disabled person. You would say a person who is disabled. And I think this has just come recently more because it's humanizing. And, like, it's just something that people haven't realized up until, I guess, like, a few 
half a decade ago, decade ago ish. It's an attribute of them and not like a title. Yeah. Because, like, you, you don't know anything about them except that. And it's almost like you're casting a lot of judgment on them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 in, but I think it also depends on the, t- the person as well. It's kind of hard to say as a collective, but from what I've seen on, you know, social media and just in general, what I've seen, if, like, say we're referring to, um, you know, autism, right? Uh, I've seen, you know, people who don't like to be said, don't like to be referred to as a person with autism. Um, Whereas I've seen people that do like to, that would prefer that. So I think it just, uh, it depends on, you know, who you're talking to and what they sort of identify that word as being would that would they do they identify it as being just an attribute of themselves or do they view it as being like an integral part of their identity so i think it depends yeah i think like just for general purposes like it's safer to like ignore even though like you you see it or you can tell for some people like it's just easier to ignore it until like it comes up in conversation I know for my Great America training about, I think, three weeks ago now, they had a little presentation on how to talk to uh, people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. So this one social guy, he walks into an elevator. There's, I believe, a blind woman on one side and a man in a wheelchair on the other. And then he, uh, he physically, like, leans down to talk to the um guy in the wheelchair and he waves like he's talking to a child mm-hmm. he's like oh hi mark like it's really awkward and then he like screams into the ear of the deaf woman <laughs> it's like don't be this guy basically right it's, it's, treat him like a normal person <laughs> right it's i wish it was intuitive yeah yeah, but yeah. It, something a... but something I thought about is it, you know, like what if their disability is that they don't recognize that they're being talked to like that, you know? Like it's like, like a mental disability? Like someone with autism who can't like see social cues or whatever and you know have the uh, just or other people that like have the mental Men- mental age lower than their physical age because of disability it's like do you still i mean i i talk to everyone the same way like whether they're younger than me older than me but um like with respect but other people like who do talk differently to I don't want to just come out and say, like, do you talk to a man-child like a man or a child? But I I think that's the gist of what I'm getting at. I think it's probably safest to just... like I mean, you don't know about them, right? Like, I'm assuming you don't know about them because you haven't established a dynamic. Mm -hmm. So you would, like, talk to them as if they're, like, a man. And then if they just get confused or in conversation, you can clarify. And then you can adjust your vocabulary appropriately. Like... I know with my coworkers, they're more um, like guyish, so they have like 
that guy vocabulary. It's like, what's up, bros? Like, yeah. And I'll kind of mirror that back. Not because, like, I'm trying to change myself, but that's just easier for the flow of conversation. Right. I mean, it's it's kind of awkward when you have someone going like, hey, what's up, bro? And then you go, greetings, my fellow humans. <laughs> I am human man. <laughs> you ever do the thing where, like, someone says hello and you just respond with good how are you <laughs> and you do it again <laughs> and then they say so thank the waiter you comes up to your table oh no <laughs> <laughs> or it's like when you go to a movie theater and they're like oh, enjoy the movie sir and like you too <laughs> oh that's a yeah. tragedy and a half or they, or the, or like, or like a waiter or a waitress brings you your food and she's like, "Enjoy your food, sir," and I'm like, "Thank you, you too." Yeah, you too. Yeah. <laughs> See, those are the knee jerk reactions that we've been conditioned to just say, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It just it, it happens. I'm pretty sure they're used to it. Dude, I had I had such an awkward one because I I was running right and um. Well, I was walking, and there was a person on the phone, and he almost bumped into me, and he said, oh, I'm so sorry. And then I, I, I almost said, thank you. I don't know why. It's just the first thing that came up was like, thank you. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Thank you. And I, I realized, like, if I had said that, that would have sounded like, kind of passive aggressive yeah it's just like oh i'm so sorry man I, I didn't mean to yeah thank you thank you for saying sorry i i appreciate the fact that you apologize <laughs> for this for this absolutely complete this like what you've done here is a mortal sin and i'm afraid i can't allow you to go on feeling like go on living the rest of your life without you feeling even an ounce of remorse so i appreciate the fact that you showing remorse proves to me that you are repentant of your obviously unintentional, but also intentional actions. Okay. Should we just end now? I feel like we're kind of, we're we're done. I think that's a good way to end the episode. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good end note. All right. Um, All right. All right, folks, we'll see you later. And uh, follow us on at Truly Your Podcast on Instagram and Twitter if you haven't already. And we will come back in a couple of weeks with a new episode. See you.